Hey folks, welcome to Biomass. This is episode 65, and I'm Jason Larrison, and I am finally back from the uh, from Pool's excellent adventures. I made my cross-country journey, and uh, uh, I've almost caught up on most of our shows, so this, uh, this should be pretty good. I'll probably have a few gaps in knowledge, but that's okay. But we have uh, some of our regular players back here, and a, and a few a few special guests, which which should be pretty good. Uh, we're kind of dead middle in the uh, CPM elections, folks. So we're, as you can imagine, we're going to have a little bit of discussion about that. We're probably going to talk about some lore stuff. Probably going to talk about some sniper rifles if I keep getting uh, pointed Skype messages from uh, one of our guests, and uh, and a few other things uh, here and there that we want to chat about. Uh, and I'll have a couple observations about a few different things that I picked up over the last two weeks while I was kind of away from game. So without further ado, let's go ahead and do some quick intros, intros and we're going to start at the top of the list and work our way down. So beginning of the list, Pokey Draven. <laughs> I'm uh, Pokey Draven from OSG Planetary Operations, co-host here on Biomass. I'm also running for the CPM2 election. Absolutely. All right. So let's see. Ben. Ben and Jerry's uh, director at Vader's Fist, uh, the clear and present danger. We're going to burn Heath. <laughs> All right, brother. Uh, Cross? Cross 2, member of CPM1 and OSG Planetary Operations and candidate for CPM2. Absolutely. Heracles Porsche. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Heracles Porsche. I am a YouTuber, altaholic, and fairly fresh member of Random Guns. I just noticed I slash your name every time that because I say it like the car, not the not the name. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. There's there is not a person I have gotten on with chat that hasn't like played with my name in some way, shape, or form. Oh goodness gracious! Alrighty, uh, Jedek. Uh, Jedek Menaheim. I am the CEO of the Zurich Consortium and holder of many alts. Yep. And let's see. Middle of this list, Rizel, who as usual, is on bottom. I'm Sarizel. I'm a member of CPM1 and a co-host here on the show. Absolutely. And I'm Jason Larrison, uh, as noted before, and I will be helping guide us through this little excursion through the wonder, the wonderlands of New Eden. Uh, I say that all, with all humor inten, intended, so to speak. So uh, it, it is pretty interesting here uh, coming back to the show. Uh, we've got a, a pretty interesting list of topics tonight. I say that every week because they're all interesting to me because I'm doing the podcast. But anyway, uh, we are going to talk some CPM stuff and a little bit about the election itself. Uh, we are going to do, I think, our final candidate interview with uh, the one and only Crossa too, who is a sitting CPM member, and he is vying for re-election right now. Uh, so we'll have that uh, targeted discussion with him. Uh, and then after that, we'll probably have a little bit more of a a uh, little general discussion about how we think the election is going, which, and I, I think there, I, I think it is fair to say that I was, um, and many people were mild, mildly surprised at the number of uh, folks that have voted so far in the election, uh, which is is good news, you know. So that that's something that we can talk about. Uh, and then Ben's going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the goings on that's been happening in the New Eden or the Greater New Eden world uh, out on the Eve side. And how there might be some tie-ins that we can work in with dust, uh, and it's actually kind of an interesting topic in and of itself because occasionally, you know, Rattati is he's okay with uh, engaging the you know the lore side of the, the community into sculpting things in the game, you know, sort of flavor items in the game, and how we can generate some things. So uh, I think it's a, a good confluence of events that we can have a, a quick discussion on. 
And then following that, what uh, what I'll probably do to round out the show is a couple quick observations from a cross-country journey from Seattle to Savannah, which is quite literally from opposite corners of the, of the continental United States. Uh, and you pick up a lot of interesting things on the way. Uh, and I've got, in fact, I have a few podcast reviews for you, or at least podcast recommendations for you, uh, and game recommendations for you. Uh, you know, just something I picked up over, over the week of travel. So with that, guys, let's go ahead and get started. And I'm going to turn this over uh, very briefly to Soraya and Cross uh, for a, you know, a CPM update, which I, I suspect will weigh heavily in terms of uh, how many folks do we think have voted so far in uh, the CPM election? So, guys, please take it away. Yeah, you you thought accurately in that regard. Most of the CPM interaction with CCP at this point is election related, and you know, speaking with Lilu primarily, and being frankly floored, I think across the board as CPM members by having hit over 2,000 votes in the first two, th two days, as opposed to our less than 1,000 in all of the last election. So that's massive. Um, having more than double the candidates of last year's cycle is also quite a step up. And while there are folks in the community who are curious or concerned, depending on their disposition, as to the way the votes are being counted, like what counts as a vote, it still, by and large, this level of voting shows a lot more engagement from the community than in the previous election, and that's an encouraging trend. It also throws a lot of the uh, bookmakers out the window as far as knowing what's coming next or who might get elected, because so many candidates, so many votes, and still this much time left in the cycle. It's, it's hard for gonna me to be control an election when I don't know where all the votes are coming from. <laughs> yeah. Um, beyond that, as far as CPM updates, CCP Frame is currently out of office and CCP Ritati is currently in Iceland. So while the engineering and, and coding side, the guys who do a lot of the you know raw grunt work when it comes to building actual game code are still merrily humming away at speed, our main points of communication are less available because they have other agendas that they're engaged with at the moment. And um, as per usual, that's stuff that they'll have to talk about when they're ready to talk about it. But we've been talking to CCP Lulu. Who you never want to steal a flag from. This is one of the key things I've learned. Do not try to take a flag from Lulu. Yeah, she'll probably get that old school Russian thing on you. But uh, well, one of the things I did want to ask you guys, and, and you, cut, you covered a lot of it. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to go too terribly much into it because it's probably a good discussion after we uh, do Cross's interview. But um, I, what, what did you say the numbers were, at least to date, at least what they've released in terms of the number of votes? We've eclipsed 2,000 as of last CCP update on the subject. Like actual votes? Votes that have been cast and counted. I mean, it, obviously, the STV has not like been run. Separ separate, but... Like separate accounts. Okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's something I should caption really quick. The voting process, alts do not count in the sense of you cannot vote three times off of one account, but any accounts can vote as long as they meet the eligibility PSN requirements. It's, it's yes. voting off PSN accounts. So at least two th So at a minimum, at least 2,000 uh, unique PSN accounts have generated votes. Yes, and they have to have the hourly requirement, which there's been some dispute about 30 or 60, but 60 is for candidate submission, 30 is for voting, um, and they have to have been made within a long enough time frame. Essentially, you need to be three months old by the time voting starts and meet the hourly requirement within the same time frame. 
I'm I'm kind of going to go out on a limb and call it that there will likely be at least one, perhaps two candidates from non-English speaking primary blocks that nobody is tracking that will get elected then. I tend to lean that way as well. I think that in this election, the uh, Portuguese and Spanish-speaking segments of the player base are a lot more active in the voting. Uh, I have also gotten some anecdotal reports of more activity within the Japanese-speaking player base, and I think that all of those are going to have an impact on the outcome, certainly. I, I would, if I were going to roll the dice, I would say that um, the South American, the Asian, and the and believe it or not, the Russian, uh, the Russian players based on what they saw from last year, if they figure, hey, if we just get like, you know, 50 people to vote for us out of everybody on our little slice of the form, we're probably going to be okay. That that may be where some of that's coming from. But, you know, it's, it is interesting, particularly with the number of, um, I guess, the number of candidates that you guys have. Yeah. Yeah. More than double last year's candidates is a pretty impressive thing as far as that goes. And and it makes the transfer aspect of the STV a lot more important well, that, in that this year's cycle. Well, that, that was my beef with last year. Well, you know, we'll, let's save this one, Cross. Let's come back to this one. Uh, what I would like to do, uh, if that's cool, let's, let's, let's go ahead and transition through your, uh, your, your candidate interview. Uh, and then that way we can kind of have a bigger, a wider discussion with the rest of the group here on uh, kind of some of the, some of the initial observations of the elections. That sound okay? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, all right. So as usual, uh, Bait and well, Bait's not here tonight, so I guess it's just me. Uh, I'll be asking you a couple of general questions and a couple that are more specific to you um, in terms of what we've seen you do as a CPM member and or what some of the things you've posted on the forums, that kind of stuff, and kind of get a feel for you personally and a little bit about uh, why somebody should vote for you as a uh, as a CPM member. Uh, and and I will I will you know, offer a, a quick point of clarification. Cross and I are in the same corp and we are pretty good friends, uh, as with Pokey. So I, I am unabashedly, a, a you know, a supporter. Uh, however, lest anybody think that I, I am throwing softballs at them, I will, I will, I will attempt to ask you uh, a few pointed questions as well. Uh, so, so that we can keep things balanced a little bit. I would expect nothing less. All right. So um, I'll lead off with kind of the, the first two easy ones. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the guy behind Cross or two, like a little bit about what you do in real life uh, or kind of the guy you are just briefly so people get to know you? And then why do you want to run again? Uh, what is going to what why are you interested in being a, uh, a community rep for Dust again? Well, um, as far as the guy, I guess my IRL time is split pretty heavily between getting myself back into school because as fun as it is to work outdoors with my hands manual labor stuff is getting a little bit thin and um, as far as like recreation and stuff I do a lot of camping hiking biking so forth and you know I can't let the neck beard grow too long otherwise it'll get tangled in the bushes while I'm outside as far as why I'm running again the simple and short answer would be I don't feel like it's done yet uh, there are a lot of key things from my push to be CPM1 that aren't completed, one of them being the port, because my major goal, like underlining why I wanted to run in the first place, was to do enough that the game was still around. And there's been some definite progress in that regard compared to where things were when the term started. But until we have a port to something other than a PS3, 
the sheer age of the PS3 hardware is going to imperil the health of the game, and I really want to do whatever I can to make sure that that change happens. Okay. Well, and I think that's that is a pretty fair, um, a pretty fair way to look at it. Uh, and and one of the things, and I had this discussion with Iron Wolf last year because I asked him the same question, uh, and he. He, he had a very similar answer is that he wanted, there was more that he wanted to do and he, there was more he thought just generally needed to be done, uh, which I, I think was an understatement given what was going on last year when you guys came on board. Um, but one of the things I found difficult in that conversation with Iron Wolf Saber was it's very difficult, for, you know, other than the port discussion, um, is there anything you can point to that the community can kind of tangibly grasp about what you're talking about? Because a lot of what Iron Wolf I think wanted to say he couldn't really talk about because so much was under wraps at that point in the discussion. Are there any specific things other than the port you really are getting your hooks into that you, you think you need another, you know, nine months to a year to try to shepherd it through? Yeah. Um, team deploy in faction warfare and sort of a revamp of the faction warfare system. So it's a little bit more active and dynamic. Um, the loyalty point stores being fully and properly stocked and hopefully providing a little bit more diversity as well in their offerings. Um, a rework on equipment, just equipment kind of across the boards to make it tighter and more useful because right now there are, is a lot of stuff in there that once had a purpose and no longer does. Some of the nano hives are a great example of that. Um, rewards from equipment, the the value of their tactical merit versus how you're rewarded for using them, and that includes vehicle equipment as well. Getting all of that a lot more tighter and polished, I mean, that's been a thing I've wanted to see and been pushing for since closed beta, honestly. I think that that may have been my first like real major thread, so it's still a, an axe I have to grind, as it were. Um, NPE, which is an entire conversation on its own, it's a lot better than it was, but it's clearly not as good as it could be. Um, hopefully PVE at some point. PVE is a big deal for any number of reasons and still absent from dust. Uh, refinement of trading is something I'd like to see, and then of course simple crafting or if I'm being pie in the sky, more complex crafting would be a great thing to have as well. And those are all kind of on my radar as things I would like to be involved in or expedite if possible. Okay. Um, so, and, and you and I have talked about this and I think we've even talked about it on the show before, but um, what are the things, do you, what, what things about having been on the CPM do you think is going to help you for this next term? Like, well, what have you learned about dealing with CCP or, dealing with, uh, let, let us be real, what was a somewhat dynamic slash um, frictious, not fractious, but frictious council uh, on occasion? Um, well, having some sort of protocol in place, which a lot of folks seem to want to interpret protocol as limitation, rule, or, you know, autocratic guidance. And that's not at all how I mean it. I simply mean a method that everyone can readily participate in as far as communicating with CCP and addressing issues of potential contention in the CPM would save a lot of time and effort in my view. So that'd help uh, the relationships that are built within CCP, just talking to the devs and so forth. They already know who I am. They know what they think of me. They know when they want to tune me out or when it's important to listen, things like that. Just the personal element of not having to break the ice or get to know how how to talk to someone things like that are already done as far as communicating with the devs 
and I've demonstrated, I hope at least, that I can produce some worthwhile feedback and you know data gathering efforts for them that they can apply so they're again hopefully more likely to listen when i bring player feedback to them on issues and then just some of the things that are under nda which i realize is sort of a flag that's waved often but already being braced for or up to speed on depending on what the topic is some of the things that are not yet released will be helpful for the cpm in general because it's something that I can, as a player, present to the other players being added to the NDA. And that's going to be a different perspective, even having been CPM, than just having a dev tell you, hey, this is what we're up to. So I would hope that that would keep things smooth and help CPM2 to hit the ground running. Okay. All right. No, and I think that's uh, I think that's probably a, an app point of view in terms of... Um terms of how you want to want to look at that uh now one of the things i did want to ask and this is a little bit spurred by some of the things that happened in the cpm uh cpm one earlier in the term and then over the course uh there's obviously the judge radamanthus issue uh which was apparent uh basically from the get-go and then i would i will have to say honestly it was a i think it was apparent to a lot of people before the election was even was had even closed that there was going to be some, probably some issues but um, you had that, and then you've got, uh, I would say, varying or episodic periods of extended AFK for a variety of the different members of the council. Uh, on the EVE side, the CSM has 14 members, so you have a lot more wiggle room and cushion, in, so to speak, with seven uh, on the dust side. Uh, what do you think is uh, a an appropriate amount of in-game time or touches with the game uh, for a CPM, and do you believe you're going to be able to to maintain that over a second second term? Well, I'm not sure if I have a raw number as far as game time spent, but certainly playing some meaningful amount, which is why I don't have a raw number, because meaningful is enough to really start understanding the nuances of, rather than a given hourly element, but a meaningful amount in any given patch or hotfix so that you're up to speed with how the game works now as opposed to how the game worked then. as uh, something that I've encountered with players, both CPM and not. When they haven't played for a while, they have a very strong, clear impression of the game, and it used to be accurate, but it no longer functions the same way after a patch or two. So definitely staying active on a consistent basis is important. Um, I will certainly have a bit more constraint to my activity being back in class and still having to you know make money somehow but i don't think that being able to maintain some minimal level of understanding and play is going to be a major hurdle for me because <clears throat> i'm the same guy who used to do things like cap out three to seven characters weekly so while my playtime may be reduced even up to 80 percent 20 percent of no life in hardcore is still a fair amount of game time no, I think, and I think that's that's very fair, actually. Uh, and and that was, I think, one of my concerns is that you you want somebody who is consistent enough in their gameplay that they can actually engage you from a personal standpoint when you when you come to them with feedback or questions or whatever. Uh, what I get leery of is uh, when people are are effectively not touching the game uh, on a consistent enough basis where the majority of of their feedback to CCP is what other people tell, like literally only what other people tell them, not what they see with their own eyes. Um, okay, so 
I do have a couple questions. Or go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I, just to speak to that that point you made, I, I think that that underscores things. CPM do need to be able to assess and filter, but focusing on community feedback is is one of the key elements. With only seven people on the council, unlike the 14 on the CSM, it's not really incumbent on a CPM to provide the feedback. It's there to provide a context for the feedback that exists. So that playtime is necessary, certainly. And having multiple testing alts, like one of the things that I do, for example, is very useful so that you can have different play experience with different SP investments and contexts. But it's it's important not to fall into the perhaps tempting trap of thinking, well, I'm CPM now, that means that I have the right to tell CCP what the community wants. Really, you need to look at what the community is asking for and try to bring that in front of CCP, also using your best judgment to contextualize what's being said and why it's being said, as opposed to just doing what I've heard some candidates, both this election cycle and last, um, seem to want to do, which is promote their own direct agenda or use their own personal playtime as a definition or template for what the community is or what the community wants. That's beyond sketchy from my perspective. Yep. And I, th I think that's, that's pretty legit in terms of a, of a concern. So a couple of direct questions. Uh, it's no secret that you are one of the, you know, one of the long time and probably more vocal and well-known uh, logistics players or support players rather, uh, uh, floating around in the game. Uh, how would you generally categorize the current balance between the classes in Dust broadly, uh, i.e. the heavy class, uh, the medium frames, either Assault and Lodgy and the Scouts? Uh, how would you generally classify where they're balanced at right now? And where do you think that the, the most significant issues are that need to be addressed? Um, I think balance is better than it was, but it certainly still could stand to be improved. Some of that comes down to racial lines rather than role lines as much as it used to. For example, the Kaldari is frequently taking a little bit of a hit on the chin in many contexts due to the shields versus armor scenario right now in tanking. Um, there are certain other roles like the state of E-War makes the Amar scout sort of flag behind the other scouts. Um, the skill sets for races are one of the major pain points that I've seen currently. Uh, for example, nano hives in the, <clears throat> excuse me in their current iteration are sort of a you know solo feature almost. You can self logy really really well with nano hives, and that does a lot to hurt the cal logy, whose bo bonus is to nano hives because if no one needs the logistics bonus or even a logistics suit carrying extras, then that buff, that bonus, that racial niche gets wasted pretty heavily. So those are those are a lot of the elements. Um, assaults have a little bit of that going on. Mostly the assault and commando overlap in roles still isn't resolved and is a pretty rough point. But I think that mostly where we're at now is the stat profiles on the suits themselves are pretty good. They're, they're at a decently stable point compared to a lot of the other things. And so now is a good time to be looking at the racial bonuses, the role bonuses, and a lot of the ancillary elements like the equipment, the shields, armor, etc. Rifles are another big thing that needs to be looked at in that context to bring more balance within the races and thus hopefully polish the roles still further. 
Okay. All right. So a, a brief summation uh, is that uh, while the while the classes may have some balance, and it's probably uh, more concerning in terms of the racial balance, or at least the the racial aspects that are affecting what's going on within the class. Was that kind of a, a fair summary or distillation of your of your answer? Yeah. Yeah. I think the pain points are usually more racially oriented right now than role based. I. I my Calogy cries for you, Argentina. Okay, uh, I, I think that's pretty good. So I do have a couple, uh, two more questions for you that are more specific in nature. Can you, and, and these are kind of big macro topics, so if you need to break them up into chunks, we can do that. Um, the first one is, what what is your feeling on the general state of vehicles versus everything else in the game? And if you had like two low or two fixes that you could... Uh, you could advocate to CCP or that you wanted to explore more of the community. What two things would you want to address in terms of the vehicles and the gameplay uh, that you think would have the biggest impact to explore? Um, as far as fixes to kind of do last first, I think that performance as strange as it may be to make that a class issue is one of the key elements due to the way that the small turret functions. Dropships struggle with this heavily and party tanks, you know, the, the tanks that actually have gunners in them also face a lot of struggles in this regard, as well as anyone trying to run a lab for more than a paper thin transport. The small turrets have a lot of disparity between where you see the target being and where shots are actually being put down range. If you are still, that sort of desync doesn't happen, so you can actually use the small turret to effect as long as you come to a full stop or a near full stop. But without that, they can be borderline or all the way into useless in a lot of contexts. So that negatively impacts many aspects of vehicle balance. It's hard to, say, buff a turret to the point of being effective despite target desync and not make it overpowered. And um, that also, to jump to the first part of your question, affects a lot of the way that vehicle balance in general functions, or in some sense more accurately, does not function. Because if you're, as an AV player on the ground, getting vaporized by a singular hit from anything, it's difficult to engage in any sort of exchange or actual fight. But conversely, as a vehicle player, if your weapon is mostly not working and you have to be a sitting duck to even try and engage, you need to have a lot of high alpha to even have a fighting chance. And so you have this sort of zero-sum relationship that puts real balance in quite a bind. Um, so that, that performance issue would be the main thing that I would look at. And then secondarily to that, getting the, even though they're placeholder reskins, the racial variants into the game, not just for tanks, although that's first, but for dropships and labs as well, so that we can start seeing some role definition within vehicles other than, you know, sort of a high HP scout that can't hack, which is very loosely speaking, the state that they're in now. They move quickly, they deal a lot of alpha, and they have no ability to hack. And that's problematic from a conceptual level as far as balance goes for something to be only able to kill as a role and also super mobile and highly durable like that trifecta is pretty curve breaking within the paradigm of the rest of dust okay all right now i, I think that's a pretty solid uh pretty solid outlook on on some of the, the issues that continue to frame the uh the av vehicle slash vehicle play debate 
Um, and kind of one of the last things I wanted to, to talk about a little bit is um, in terms of the actual design of the game and like what we hold in our hands in the PS3, um, based on what you know, which is frankly going to be more than everybody not named CCP or CPM, like what are the things that are most tangible to the player base that can be accomplished on the current platform? Like what, what is realistic that players could see that you really want to drive for? Uh, and, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot with an NDA uh, transparency issue. It's literally just where do you think, where do you think you want to focus your time and effort in terms of squeezing the right uh, feedback from the community onto those points where you think CCP can actually deliver something on the PS3? A lot of balance polish is where you're going to see the most actionable stuff. It's, um, as CCP Rattati puts it, the low-hanging fruit. Anything that is hotfix level or hotfix you know, adjacent, as it were, the things that we already have the foundations for will be accessible. Um, things like a trophy slash metal system for dust so you can get some lifetime achievements tracked, hopefully, with extra experience added onto loyalty rewards, more module slot for the war barge, so you have options for working there, uh, which can link to the simple crafting idea, definitions of roles like we talked about a bit ago, um, addressing those skill balances, uh, rifle aspects, shields and armor, and then the equipment rework. Those are all pretty attainable. They're not necessarily simple conceptually, but they're a lot more simple logistically when it comes to the raw code. So it's definitely something that we could see on the PS3 if, as a community, we can hammer out something actionable. Okay. All right, man. So I think we've made it through the, the meat and potatoes of the, of the interview, and I did want to go into uh, the classic lightning round, which I do with all of our, all of our interviewees. Uh, so I'll, I'll throw you a couple quick state, statements or questions, uh, and some of them will be yes or no, some will be short answer or multiple guess, however you want to call it. Uh, so if you're all warmed up and ready for the lightning round, are you ready? Oh, yeah. Okay, that's what I like to hear. So, if you're sitting there with Zell and you're arguing with each other on Skype, and CCP Rattati is in the corner, and you can see the look on his face where he's getting very, very frustrated, and then Zell proposes that you're going to play Paper, Rock, Scissors, Lizard, Spock, what is your go-to move to beat Zell? Make sure I drag him into another Tron arena. Okay, all right, that's legit. I thought you were going to take the bait and go with the uh, <laughs> go with, go with the nerdgasm there. All right, so here we go. All right, shields or armor? Uh, well, right now, armor. It's, it's pretty much the meta-dominant. Legit. All right. What should the optimal range for all light weapon rifles be, plus or minus 10 meters? Oh my! Well, that's like that's one of those. If you were going to pick one number, plus or minus ten meters, where would you optimize all the rifles to? Um, I will very roughly say probably about in the thirty to forty vicinity, with the footnote that I usually am not looking at my meter distance from things when I'm in match. I'm more eyeballing it, and that's because I play Sentinel and Scout pretty heavily these days. So it's either I'm in your face or I'm running for cover. Okay. All right. Fair answer. Uh, all right. Batman versus Superman. <laughs> that depends on if you're talking initial conflict or after Batman trains him to think right. Oh, God, you're killing me, man. 
Hey, that's one I've thought about a long time. Batman is obviously going to be the one who's better off if you have any initial conflict because he'll think it through, not just expect to win and thus fail. Clearly, the, the DC canon is established that with appropriate amount of time to, to prepare, Batman can beat anybody. Yeah. I'm, I'm literally docking even, points right even now. Even Iron Man, uh, which I have to throw out there just for Silly Rabbit, who will now try to shoot me. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, all right, Chevy versus Ford. I'd rather go hiking. I don't know. I'm not sure if I've owned either ever. Okay, Bam or Zell? <laughs> Zell any day. He will actually talk to me as opposed to Bam, who, while he makes a mean set of beer and bacon, is sometimes rather evasive. Okay, fair enough. All right, I got you. Uh, if there is one other person you want on the council other than you, who would it be? See, I'm just so tempted to cheat again. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to have to go with the nepotism here and, and say Pokey Draven. If I slip in an honorable mention, it would be uh, Zarya Mindir. And I don't think anyone's surprised by either of those since I've been actively campaigning for them both pretty much throughout this term. Okay. All right. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Crossa too. Uh, that was, that was there giving us a, a quick interview on the, uh, the mighty biomass podcast cross. I really appreciate you coming on as usual. You've, you've been a guest many times and you're always uh, pretty fun to talk to you. Uh, very, very in-depth responses to everything. Uh, very well thought out. Uh, and, and I would offer, and, and this is just my person, it's certainly not the, the show's opinion. It's just my opinion. Uh, you, you've done an, an incredibly good job, well, good job of representing the community and actually communicating with folks, um, probably to CCP and then, you know, to the community and back and forth. And I've rarely seen you give somebody the stiff arm that actually wanted to talk to you and ask questions or, or at least shoot you some, some feedback of like, Hey, can you slide this in front of somebody at CCP? And you were always on and honest enough to say, if it makes sense, yes. If, and if it doesn't, I won't. So I, I think uh, I would have to give you some, some props on that one. So I'll give you about 30 seconds or so. If you had anything, any last parting shots on why folks should vote for uh, the, the indomitable cross at two, go ahead, brother. Well, I'd say that, the experiences I've had help. Um, I've proven I'm not going to crack under pressure and walk away from the game or kill any of my uh, co-council members, both of which can be tempting at times, I will admit. I also think I keep my trolling pretty much muzzled, despite the fact that, like any person, sometimes I get pissed off. And I focus on actually doing feedback. I mean, I have my ideas, I have my proposals, but when I have an opinion, I don't take it to CCP first. I take it to the player base first and ask what everyone else thinks. I had an opinion on Myos, and before I said word one to CCP, I put up a feedback thread, and then I brought the results of that thread to CCP. I have a lot of opinions fairly in-depth on Lodges from the now years of play I have on them. So I built a spreadsheet and I put that in front of the community and asked for feedback and got, you know, many, many pages of it and then reiterated on it several times over before I put it in front of CCP. So if I would toot my own horn in one way as a CPM, it's that I've actually demonstrated I'm willing to base my feedback on the community and to be present enough to gather that feedback from the community. I'm not just here trying to do something for me or based on a limited perspective. Okay, brother. Uh, again, really appreciate you uh, you coming on the show, and best of luck in the election. So, with that, now that we've moved out of, uh, I think that was our our final uh, 
our final candidate interview that I'm aware of, particularly since we're like knee deep in the election. And we'll bring in probably the, the bigger group here. So this is, again, free for all for everybody. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, we were talking about right before we moved into the uh, uh, into the interview with uh, Cross was some of the the interesting uh, initial feedback from the election with uh, a fairly high number of unique PSNs that have been voting uh, and the fact that we have a lot of candidates, uh, you know, 40 plus candidates, which is is fairly significant. Uh, and I just kind of wanted to, to get everybody's sort of general feel on what you know what they think is going on in the uh, in the election right now, and sort of what this may portend or bode for uh, for dust in terms of the the community. And I'll, I'll just kind of open it up. I would. Uh, this is Kane. I, I'm not sure if you guys have uh, mentioned me yet. Uh, we we talked shit about you. I, as we, usual. we said you were useless earlier. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. Excellent. Okay, let's let us let us clarify that by we. We mean Zell, who that was his passive aggressive way of saying I was calling you useless. I mean hey, Zell. The thing is, as ex councilmen, uh, we'll both be able to be useless together. That's true. I, I actually I made a thread to tell everyone how excited I was. I'm going to be able to sit back and just you know heckle current CPMs just like Kane does to me. It's going to be Damn great. Why is he why making? Is he why does he keep on annoying us about the CPM two election and it not happening? Because because he wants a seat, isn't it? No, you'll get to have that same joy too. So, I would say honestly, uh, to me, I think this is an election of alts in a large way. I know some people that may be pushing over a dozen alts that have voted. There was some indication uh, last election cycle that there may be some issues with how um, hours are counted, um, and I think that's actually been proven on several occasions to be accurate. Whether or not. Uh, it's going to make a large impact. The thing is, there could be huge voter turnout from other regions, um, and that actually may drown out the alt vote. But, I mean, potentially, if you have 10 people, and each of those 10 people have five votes, I mean, that's 50 votes right there. I mean, and if you have 10 people that have 20 votes, that's 100 votes right there, so on and so forth. Just want a moment of silence here for all of us to reflect on the conversation between the two goons and voting going to alt voting within under 40 seconds. That, that makes sense. That's, that's logical. I'm, I'm honestly, my, my biggest concern is with the, the number of uh, votes being cast that it's much harder for us to control the election this year. Of course. You also have people selling their votes too, which is kind of interesting to see play out. Yeah. yeah. Huge fan of that, by the way. Wholesome New Eden values. <laughs> Freaking hilarious. It's a sandbox. Well, the one thing, and I was kind of thinking about this, uh, you know, uh, and this is sort of the thought I had before we kind of pushed into the, uh, to the cross interview. There was a mention about how the STV works, and I, w- I would offer that um, last year, you know, based on the, the voter population pool, and how the and how the votes broke with a lot of people voting for judge and no one else. The STV is not really designed to chunk through that that type of sample pool. This is probably I, I suspect will be a much better uh, run through for the STV in terms of how how it actually is designed to work and produce um, results. If that's if that makes any sense. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, what was it like uh, a good like 200, 100 to 200 out of the 936 or so votes actually were just single votes? Yes. Final tally, nearly 24 votes were just burnt into nothingness for Judge because after he got confirmed, there were that many wasted that couldn't be transferred to any other candidate. 
Well, that's hilarious. Hey, they were all wasted, though, at the end of the day, weren't they? That is a fair point. And you've been judged. <laughs> I think it'll be interesting to see, given um, the large number of, of candidates that are from seemingly not uh, English-speaking as a primary language, I, I imagine that if there's that many running, there might be a rather large movement of votes coming from that direction. And if you have uh, circles of people within that particular language voting for each other, but not for a lot of the candidates that we tend to look at, you might see some interesting results in the STV and how votes are transferred or is cross put potentially burned if they can't transfer to anyone. Well, yeah. and I'm still very curious if some of those foreign candidates actually will speak enough English to work with Rotati. Yeah, we we never had a vetting process. I mean, how were they going to determine that exactly? I mean, are they going to ask them, can you actually speak English? And then if not, then they just wipe them and we do the whole thing over again? It seems like uh, the easiest thing would be that you just run the STV again. So maybe they do a voice interview. Um, uh, the CPM Zero was actually interviewed prior uh, when they, they went through and interviewed all of the potentials. Uh, that they were considering and interviewed all of the CPM zeros that they were, con uh, you know, potentials. And, you know, maybe they just do that. They just do a Skype interview um, with the uh, the people who are elected. And then if, you know, they do a Skype interview and they're like, uh, they don't understand a word that CCP is saying, maybe they just cross them off the list. Yeah, I think that I, I, this is not a CCP confirmed thing, but I think that Kane is spot on. I'm pretty sure that the method going to be employed is just an interview, and if someone is incapable of communicating, then their seat will be rerun to be filled by the STV. Uh, won't affect the results for anyone else, but they and all elected candidates will be removed from the STV for that run. All right. Well, I, I think uh, I, I think that's probably not a bad idea in terms of how you know, as a method. Uh, and, and you, like I said, that's clearly one of the clauses that you got to be able to do business in, in, in English, uh, which should be pretty good. Now, that being said, I do think it, it is, um, I think it is a good thing if you have somebody from, uh, you know, some of the other cultural blocks that are out there. Again, we mentioned it like, you know, the, uh, the South Americans or the, you know, the Japanese specifically. I, I think that would be I think that'd be a good thing, frankly, because you get a, a very different perspective on how things go and you're touching a part of the community that, that most folks sitting in here don't. So I, I think that's actually probably not a bad thing overall if, if uh, somebody gets in. Um, like I said, I, I personally think it would, it would not surprise me if one or two folks got on that we were totally off the radar, uh, mostly because of that kind of that kind of voting block got them in. Yeah, honestly, at this point, I would be more surprised if that didn't happen. Yeah, no, I, I think that's actually pretty legit. Um, let's see, any other general thoughts on uh, the goings-on with the uh, the CPM, or the, the election, rather? So, uh, Jadak, how many times did you vote this election? Oh, the robot vote will be private. <laughs> Jadak, master of drones. <laughs> I think one closing thought if we're wrapping up election commentary for the moment is if you haven't voted yet, do it. I was waiting yeah. for you, actually. Uh, waiting all the way up to the last interview. Yeah, and that's the uh, and that's kind of the big thing that I would offer is that, uh, one, I, I've, I am very surprised at the number of unique PSNs that have voted, you know, acknowledging that there's going to be a good, a good minority of those that are actual alts. Uh, probably just like it was in the last election. Uh, so 
broadly, I, I don't think anybody can get around the fact that, you know, for Dust, for a niche game, a lot of people voting on this. So I, I'd like to see them actually continue to have the votes push in uh, and then kind of actually see what the tally is. I think uh, I would offer we probably hit you know, just under 3,000, right around 3,000 total unique PSNs by the time voting's all said and done. Um, probably, you know, basically half of whatever we have now are just in general, because you probably have a good sweep of people that hit it in the first couple of days. But I do strongly recommend that folks go out and they vote. And I also recommend that they actually fill all seven positions. Yes. Um, at a minimum three. Uh, I think bare minimum three, but you really need to put all seven uh, because of the way and the SPV will work. And we've given you all the options. You just put, you know, Pokey and Cross and, and, and Darth and, and Breakin and um, well, now, Zarya and... and because uh, we all know Zell could, could choose a CPM. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I can say, I was like, let's not, let's not go too crazy. Because that's, and again, that just for the record, the, those are Zell's opinions on those folks. Some of which I agree with, some which I, I think are horrendous choices. Yeah, as much as I appreciate the nepotism, and and I certainly do, I like votes. Um, really, the key is to have seven people on your ballot. Out of a candidate pool of over forty, if you don't include seven, it's quite possible that you'll end up with your vote being burnt off, like so many other votes were last election, due to only putting one candidate. And if you want to be represented, represented, if you're taking the time to vote, making sure you put down all seven is the best way to ensure that you actually have a voice in the process. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and this is this is one of those unique little things that is um, uh, interesting in terms of like where we're at generation generationally with video games. Like I would have never imagined that we would even had a discussion similar to this that we're electing uh, fairly organically or at least through a shepherded process uh, community representatives representatives from a global community that are vested in in effectively a game. Uh, it's it's interesting in terms of watching how things have developed because I can remember that the Atari 2600 being in my house when I was a little kid. Uh, so you you get the full swath of where we've come, and this is actually kind of a neat discussion. It's one of the things that keeps me interested in um, in dust, so to speak, or at least New Eden in general is the amount of uh, player-driven activity and how they can actually affect some of the things in the game. So I do recommend that everybody get out and vote. So on that note, we are going to go ahead and transition over to a subsequent topic. Um, Very briefly, uh, I think one of our guests had poked me several times about wanting to talk about sniper rifles. We'll do that real quick. And then we're going to have a quick discussion about uh, some things going on in New Eden lore. and we'll kind of tie that into how that is uh, potentially could affect dust or, or things that we might want to work on in dust uh, as a community that can kind of generate some content. So I think uh, Heracles, were you the one bringing up the, uh, the sniper rifle issue? Yeah, that's right. Thanks for getting around to that. Um, Absolutely, man. Uh, yeah, I just have, uh, I have an alt with the sniper leveled up. It's the Kaldari commando. So it's, it's like more or less optimized for the role. And uh, I've just noticed there's there's really no like this has been a gradual shift to the place where the sniper rifle really does not seem to have any kind of place in the objective based modes. Now it is it can be handy on certain ambush maps, um, uh, but uh, mainly due to the removal of like vehicles from ambush, the sniper rifle can be you know fairly useful in there. But in in dom and skirm, you're, it's 
sniper is generally close to useless with a few minor exceptions and uh, i think that that should get fixed because you know like ambush is not a perfect game mode really i'm mostly here for the objective based modes so i would like to see the sniper rifle kind of re-included i'll be honest i think that uh if the sniper were to take on more of a designated marksman rifle kind of role a more effective damage application in a uh, within a shorter range um i think that would be a positive move for it because right now it's kind of like uh if you think about if you look at the uh uh you know the stats of all the weapons it's 250 meters max range before weapons don't do any damage whatsoever in terms of small arms weapons. You have outliers like the forge gun. Um, but, you know, and then the sniper rifle, it's like, you know, before it was 600 meters range, which was just ridiculous. But um, now it's been reduced to 450 meter range. Uh, range. But um, when you actually go through and analyze um, sniper kills, uh, a majority of the average uh, kill distance for these kills is generally under 200 meters already. So the sniper rifle is being, I think, unfairly punished um, because it has uh, the ability to kill people at such long ranges, which is not good for the game anyways. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the forge gun because in, I don't know how often, like, sniper versus forge, how often is the sniper going to win? And not, not that much anymore, I can tell you that. I don't know. I've take out, taken out a few forge gunners with sniper rifle, so. But like, it's like you said, most, most of those fights are in that kind of 200 meter range and you know the sniper can come out on top but you know the forge gun is going to be dominant i'd say you know honestly the way the tactical sniper operates should be kind of how you cut out there kane dogs uh yeah i can't no, kane... his, do- his dogs are kicking his ass again oh, He's okay two little yappy dogs, oh that was so another he, thing he i'm glad well. you reminded me of the tactical sniper rifle because the uh whatever the the reticle scope whatever it's changed to like a little circle on the ta- the tactical sniper used to be one of my favorites and now it's that stupid little circle crosshair and i'm like ugh, i, I love the awful. circle it works I for really... some people i i was okay with it at first but i don't know lately i cannot use that circle crosshair at all yeah now i i did want to just kind of throw out a couple things real quick i i now a little truth in lending i do not play sniper in dust at all I don't have a single point of SP in it, but I've I've clearly played it in quite a few other games. Um, and, and I would offer that you know the sniper role is pretty much a staple in any kind of first-person shooter. Uh, there's not many. Um, I I can't think of a game or too many games that, particularly any that are remotely related to how Dust works, um, that don't have some sort of sniper role. Uh, involved in it and I, I i think that that snipers in this game have been one of the most uh lambasted and um uh, one of the most frictious points of the game and it really surprised me because you see a lot of at least on the forums you see an absolute ton of people who are screaming about snipers need to come down here where you can get shot at and you know it- ah my gun game is better than yours i got news for you the whole purpose of having a sniper rifle, is, you know, or really of having a sniper, is one: there's an intelligence value, uh, which we do a very poor, poor job of replicating in Dust because you can't mark targets and all that kind of good shit. But that's the whole purpose: is to disrupt and interdict from range, uh, and that's, you know, it's area denial, to, to for lack of a better term. 
and nobody wants I, you rarely see anybody want to get involved in that in uh, in dust they're all about whatever's happening you know basically at you know 20 meters you know high noon circle kind of shit I think a lot of it comes from the, the piss poor design of the red line and how it functions in the game yeah but there's absolutely and I don't think any of us really want to see red line snipers being a thing I don't have fun getting shot by them I don't have fun being one but I'm sure we can find a way to get snipers a place in the game. Well, yeah, I, I I will have to ask. I mean, this may be, uh, you know, probably one of those where you know the video games has to, you know, map map design has to trump things. But I never really beef too much about redline snipers, and the reason why is when you look at the maps, a lot of the places. If I if you just showed me the map and didn't show me the red line, the places that I would put a lot of snipers, they're in the red line. But that's where you would want to put the snipers because that's where where they're good locations for them to shoot from. So people beefing about redline snipers, that's is that the sniper's fault or is that the map design fault? No, people, it's, map de- it's a combination thereof. It's, it's the map design, but I wouldn't say it's the sniper's fault. It's the fact that CCP also put the range so long that that's where they – that's right, where it's, where it's it, best. It is, it is a sniper rifle. I mean what, – what, <laughs> What what would you what do you want them to do? If like fire at rail rifle range, well then fuck it. Why am I carrying a sniper rifle? No, no. I would think that any uh, somewhere around 350, 300 meters range is with better damage application than the sniper rifle currently has would actually be work well for it. Sockets also, I think, play a definite role um, in the context of objective based game modes because if you can't do anything to control paths to and from the objective or the panel itself. There's usually not a lot you can do to participate aside from just hoping to take clones. And if you're only padding your KDR, then sitting somewhere in the red line is the thing that makes the most sense because that's actually the most tactical utility. Now, if we had map sockets set up such that paths into the objective buildings or the panels could be overwatched by sniper fire, I think you'd see more people using snipers in an aggressive context than simply sitting back. Yeah, and I mean that would be a healthy balance. We don't I don't I don't need sniper rifles to take over the game, but they they have to have some role. I think part partially too if they had better damage application at at a closer end range so you eliminate I mean cuz unless CCP could figure out some way to fix the red line in the meantime. Um can you, I think, can you real quick describe what you think is uh, when you say damage application, can you so higher can you lay that so out? either basically higher DPS either um, with the single shots themselves doing more damage or uh, increase the headshot m- multipliers further and make do you, the do you, have a, do you have a problem killing anybody with it with your sniper rifle? Yes. Yeah. Because I I know that a lot of like I can get two shotted by anybody walking around with the sails. Well, yeah, or yeah, the officer. I don't use. I try to. I try as much. Not to use the officer snipers as officer I can, but it's really hard. Officer is a great example it's, of the problem. Yeah, but this, well, the officers have a lot more range than the other sniper rifles. Well, it's, well, a, it's, it's a, a big zoom. disparity. I, I would tell you that even a charged sniper rifle, like it, it'll it'll lay a whooping on a whole lot of suits. Like you, you can really do some serious damage. But the problem is the whole mechanics behind the sniper rifle are you have to pull up your scope, you have to crouch, you crouch and then wait for the sway to stop. You know, it's all the the whole way that it's designed. It's designed to make it very slow camp yeah. kind of roll. You, you mean kind of like how a sniper works, huh? You want you want quick scopers, um, Kane? 
<laughs> no, no, I don't think it needs to be quick scoping. But no, honestly, but, but literally yeah, everything I, you just described is exactly how snipers work. Oh no, well, dude, that's not really true because snipers oftentimes have to relocate from position to position. Yeah. If you fire more than one shot from a lo- from one location, you're being fucking stupid as a sniper. Yeah, no shit. But you're but think about what you're describing. You're basically saying you should fire from a stable platform then move, which is what they're doing. But that's that's not being slow. That just means move to a new location, drop into a crouch, stabilize your scope, fire, get the fuck up, move, do it again. But the, exactly the thing is, the, I think the sniper rifle was be- much better back in the day when you actually had, um, rather than hit scan mechanics, you had the experimental sniper rifle back in the day before experimental weapons, which was actually um, a projectile that had bullet travel and drop and all that good stuff. I think it was much oh. more sat- it's a much more satisfying mechanic. And if you think about it, that's present in a lot of first-person shooters such as Battlefield 4 yeah, and various others. Sure. And, and that actually actually adds a lot more dynamic to um, the sniper role as well because, you know, you can fire at longer ranges, but then you have to be taken into account more so and more so bullet drop and other types of mechanics like that. That dust just absolutely lacks it. It's just hit scan. It's sit there, crouch, wait for stabilization, wait for things to go red, and then pull the trigger. Yeah, pretty much. No, I, I'm not disagreeing with you that, that it, you know, having more actual bullet physics, uh, you know, that were somewhat realistic would be useful in some cases. Now, the flip side of that is also, it is a fucking sci-fi game, man. We're shooting like, you know, small rail guns at each other. I mean, like, you gotta have some allowances for that. Oh, yeah, I mean, in that, I mean, if you go for realism case, then every single weapon in the game would probably have a 600 meter plus range. And one of the things the sniper rifle does is it's not necessarily have more kill power. Historically, the sniper rifle has just been more accurate at applying that kill power. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you could actually achieve a lot of stuff with just giving them a little bit better zoom on their scopes, frankly, in terms of damage I, application. Well, I, that's if you keep them at the current ranges, though. To me, I don't know, like, I, for the tactical sniper rifle, I, I would love it if I had an option for a much less zoom on a scope. I wouldn't mind being able to engage at people at 100, 200, 250 meter ranges effectively. Uh, with that weapon, rather than being forced by the way the game's mechanic are to try to to eke out a shot at 300 plus meter ranges. I'm not really sure I'm seeing where you're forced to do that. And honestly, I think most, uh, well, people feel like they need to be, they're trying to be far as, as far away from the conflict as possible to in order to minimize their risk as much as possible. This is a risk averse community. And the right. sniper mechanics play into that risk aversion. Deep. Okay, alright. I've got to ask, like, what what do you think is going to, like, what range do you think a sniper rifle should shoot at? 300 to 350 meters range, I okay. think, would be would fix it. Okay, so what do they shoot at now? They still have to shoot at the same stuff. No, but my point is, is that you're, like, you're not going to change their behavior by doing that. Yeah, there's nothing you're describing that's going to change their behavior. For the good snipers, no. But for the people who are sitting at 450 meters right at the tip-tip edge, hoping for that one shot that might get that one kill, they would actually be eliminated as, to the large part as a detriment to the hey, team, or at least be pulled in. I, I got news for you. I don't give a fuck about those guys, because they, don't, they, don't, they, don't, they do not contribute to the win or the loss, or they certainly don't contribute to the win, and they may contribute to the loss. And if you changed it, all you're really going to do is you're not going to, if they're that bad of a player, you're not going to, it's not going to help you. In fact, them not losing clones by being a campy sniper might be better for your team 
you know, based on what you're describing. Well, you also have seen before, previously before when we had 600 meter ranges on sniper rifles. A lot, uh, a lot of times, players will switch into roles that they think can minimize their risk if they feel like they're facing a superior opponent. So they will switch into roles like you know before when with a 600 meter range, which was ridiculous, and then just try to plink some kills. You know. Sure. I, I, and again, I, you know. If you, if you want to address that, then remove ISK from the game. Like seriously, if you if you want to address that, remove ISK from the equation. That's how you address that. Eh, not. I mean, people will always be risk averse, but at the same time, you can make sure at least when they're executing a role, they're at least somewhat helping the team. Now, the other thing you actually mentioned that's really important in terms of the snipers that's never been present before is maybe the ability to, like, you used to be able to back in the day, whenever you looked at something and highlighted it, everyone on the team could see what you highlighted. Um, What would be good is if for the sniper rifle, that mechanic were also present as well. Um, So when you look, when a sniper looks at a target and highlights that target, it should be basically highlighted for everybody on the team. I think sniper rifles should be able to fire uplinks. Not fire uplinks. That's up. (laughs) Oh my god! I've been on both sides of the the equation, but my point of frustration a lot of times is not being able to know where you're being hit from until it's too late, and then you can determine like from the kill screen how far they were out, but just still, it's it's kind of a bit of a frustration. That's actually a good point. If, if you had a little bit better hit recognition, like, or some kind of a little bit better indicator of where the shot was that that splattered you, that, that would probably go a better bullet trails or a death recap or something. They did not increase the bullet trail slightly, but you know, I don't ever want a death cam. And since we mentioned we, we, um, should we be cutting sway between shots? I think so. I thought the sway pretty the sway is pretty much a non-existent between shots, really. When you shoot and then it goes, it's going to go right back where you shot the last time. I'm just gonna uh, just put this out there. Uh, a long time ago, I used to actually use snipers a lot, and what I would do is that I would sit maybe 100, 150 meters away from the action and actually snipe at those ranges. I would move around constantly, keeping the guys in the front some cover, some covering fire. And I would use the tech sniper, and that was actually a really good tech that I could actually help out in the battle. So I was wondering, should snipers actually transition from being very long-range weapons to more of a tech sniper sort of thing? I'll be honest, I think that's what would be beneficial for the sniper role. If it took on a more of a designated marksman rifle than necessarily what people traditionally think is the super long-range ultra, you know, that skill, that long-range skill shot. Some people, I mean, are very, you know, they think that it's like a staple of FPS, but it doesn't necessarily need to be a staple in dust. Well, there's a lot of things that need to be a staple in dust that uh, are a staple in most FPSs, you know, like decent movement, gameplay, UI, you know, hit detection, shit like that. Um, but that now that being said, what, what you're basically describing is what if you made a tactical rail rifle? That's that's really what you're describing, you know, something that is optimized for, you know, something beyond the current, you know, Calicator rail rifle uh, range fan, you know, call it 150 meters, so to speak, which is fine, uh, except you're you're very quickly going to figure out that I don't think people are going to use that weapon a whole lot because that means they're going to have to be so close to the to the actual gunplay that it's going to be a detriment uh 
in, in terms of the actual in match play. There's going to be very few instances where you can put those guys in a place unless it's like those keyhole shots that are overlooking a panel or like these you know, very, very specific locations you can dot around a map where that rifle is going to be useful. Uh, you're kind of like in this betwixter between you either need something that's actually a battle rifle that works like, you know, almost kind of anywhere in there. Uh, or you need something that, that retains, uh, you know, definitely the long range flavor and it it becomes much, much, much less optimal as you get inside the general engagement window. And I I think Godin's point, by the way, is not bad. I mean, I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but just in terms of how the game actually works, I think you're going to find that 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 weapon would a weapon that's that that's brought in that much would may very well likely just not be that useful. Well, in general, snipers aren't really that useful in the current because most engagements are more of a hundred and fifty meters or less. So, dude, most engagements are forty meters or less. Like well, no I'm, shit. Well, I'm just, I'm just I'm saying just... for everything, it's one hundred fifty meters or less. Otherwise, you're pretty much not going to get much done but those sniper rifles need a scope i think Rotati has talked about putting that on there somehow just for example as a point of information like i didn't i analyzed like six different youtube i mean i needed to go through more but over 150 sniper kills um observed it was the average range was 188 meters I just think that uh, more often than not, the sniper rifle isn't engaging at these extreme long ranges that everybody thinks that they should have anyways. So it would be better if they could more more effective at, you know, in, uh, you know, at that 200 to 350 meter range. Essentially buff the sniper rifle and then bring in the range. Yeah, I think that would be fine. I, I, st- I still go back to, to what end. What do you think you're going to achieve by doing that? What will change in the game if you do that? Well, not much is going to change right now because the maps are designed to where, like you said, most engagement, like as far as infantry engagements are more of the 50 meters or less because that's just where all the action is. Uh, I would think that map design would need to alter, but that's not going to really happen. Anytime no, soon. I've, I mean, I've had effective snipers that are with, that are with, like you know, at that 200 meters out from where our engagements are that have actually helped with fights and stuff like that. And only that, since they're closer into the engagement, they can actually move around from objective to objective to a certain point. So, in terms of getting vantage points and that sort of thing, I think it would. I mean, if they are more effective already where they're primarily operating, I think that would be good for them. If, if the weapon becomes better at the ranges where it's mainly being used, I think that's only going to be a plus for what the sniper role actually is in terms of how it's played out in Dust. While discouraging some of the, the what we what a lot of people, I guess, have termed of negative behavior in terms of sitting at the extreme ranges of the sniper rifle and not actually impacting or affecting anything very much just because of the way the maps are designed. I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I think, I think, just generally constraining or trying to shape people's behavior that way because um, it doesn't actually address the root issue is I, I think that I think, I think the dev time to do the numbers and in physically type them in, no matter how small that dev time would be is better suited doing something else. It's I, I, I you know, that's it literally, my personal it literally opinion. takes like, you know, 30 minutes to do. Exactly. And that's probably 30 minutes that, that anything there, there are so many other things that are, are like light years beyond that in terms of its importance. Uh, I think they should probably address now. I mean, that being said, 
sniper rifles work pretty well. They still kill people, like a lot of people. Uh, and if they don't kill people, I can tell you they do exactly what AV does to vehicles, which is make them get the fuck out of an area, which can also work fine. But nobody wants to hear that because they're like they're not getting a kill for it. But yet you're being very, very impactful in a match if you can control uh, certain areas and certain maps that way. You may not kill people, but the first time you get shot and then it takes you down to like no shields and like 20% armor, you're going to get the hell out of wherever you're getting shot at. Um, so it's just one of those things where if people really wanted to, is it, is it about being effective in the match uh, in terms of generating a win or shaping the battlefield? Or is it literally about putting a K in the, in the, you know, putting a score in the kill column at the end of the match? What, what are we trying to achieve with this thing? Okay, um, I mean, a bit of both. I would say that, yeah, a bit of, well, I wouldn't really say getting a kill, more of getting rewarded, because if you shoot somebody and they run off, okay, that's good for um, being effective, but you're not getting rewarded for that unless someone finishes that person off and gets a kill assist, you know? Yeah, no, I'm, man, I'm totally with you. I'm just, I'm just saying I'm not sure how any of these changes are going to actually impact the game. I mean, I'm not seeing a, you know, where these are going to impact anything. Well, I don't think that simply changing the sniper rifle would fix much of anything unless other things got changed with it. It's just one of those things. Yeah, I mean, I would like I would like a sniper to be viable in PC. Here's put it that way. That would take some. I would say that that would take some serious changes to occur, and I don't think that's going to happen anytime. There are certain maps where there's certain maps where a sniper rifles can be extremely valuable. Uh, one is the two in two out map rings. If you have that on a cargo hub, you can yep. put a sniper on top of those rings, uh, tactical or otherwise, with a swarm. You know, usually a commando with swarm launcher in in, in tow. Um, you can actually eliminate all uplinks from up high ground. You can eliminate most links in the acid pits. You can also even eliminate most links on the outside objective points with that sniper rifle. I mean, there are places for it, but it's there. They absolutely are few and far between. Are, is sure, but is it superior enough to a forge gunner or a laser rifle or something up there? Well, with, with the combination of swarm launchers, yes, I would say. Yeah, against a forge gun, I don't know. I would forge gun, forge gun. I would say use, it's a toss up. It really depends on. I would rather on... use a forge gun than a sniper and swarms in that case. But as far as say anything else, I would say that that combination is better. But it's very limited in that kind of use like there's very little situations where that would actually be worthwhile that's why i said that this is just one of those things where it will have a lot of work to be done to where it will be actually more useful i think it definitely needs some anti-material uh sort of av capability to it in a way it's it's got way too long of a range and it's way too accurate for that but yeah i hear you on that that's why the forge screen got its sight removed Forgeon never had a sight. It did. It had a the, the camera sight. It had a um, uh, a circle in the center, but that's it. Still wish that circle, charge circle would come back. Well, it had a camera sight a long time ago, and that got removed because that thing was way too accurate. Mm, I don't think so. You know that little box thing at the front? That's what that is. Okay, since since this is making for great radio. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not trying to cut you guys off. It's literally like, like there's there's like nine people playing Dust that actually remember what you're talking about with the camera sight. The uh, which by, by the way, I actually preferred the uh, 
I, I do want, I do kind of want to uh, go ahead and kind of bring this one to a close. And, and I would offer that, you know, as much as we were going back and forth about sniper rifles, I, I, I do, I do like the idea of it having a role or a function. And I would, I would personally offer if you gave the sniper rifle something to do other than just shoot at people where they could actually mark targets, perhaps you could, you could develop an incredible amount of functionality that way. Uh, and that would actually be okay too. And, and having snipers that engage, you, you want like the, the idea behind dust, I think is that it's deep enough that it should allow for nearly any style of play uh, to be able to brought, to be able to be brought to bear within a match of 32 people. Um, and, and I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, me personally, I don't think it's a good idea to continue to constrain people to let's get into a fast twitch CQC game, which is where dust has very clearly gone over the last year. Um, so that, that's just my thought, you know, and like I said, I don't even play, I like other than, than the, the covenant sniper that came with one of the packs I bought when I first like started playing dust, I've never put a sniper rifle on a suit and that's just, that's just me saying it. So, uh, but but it is a good technical discussion and one that will always bring some heat in any conversation. And like I said, you know, prior to the show, we can have this discussion on here back and forth with several people, uh, or you can watch, you know, uh, what what effectively is like a bunch of wal- wal- walruses with Cheetos, you know, dust coated on them, like ravaging each other on the forums. Uh, and get zero resolution. At least here, you can have a, a you know an, a semi-adult conversation about you know why things should work or or how they should work. And a lot of it really comes down to the perception, or or really your personal interpretation of what that role should be. And I think that's okay. So uh, I do kind of want to pick up move from uh, from this, and I'd like to to get uh, Ben and Jerry up on the net uh, because he did actually have a, a different topic he wanted to kind of talk talk to us about a little bit and we want to transition over to it for a few minutes. Um, so as many of you know, I'm uh, like, I am an Eve player or at least I was for a long time. Uh, we've got several people in dust that have dabbled in Eve, mostly because they were introduced to Eve from dust, you know, via the new Eden universe. Uh, you know, we're like, Hey, where are these orbitals coming from? Then somebody explains to him that, you know, in some cases, those are actually people flying ships in another game. Uh, that kind of thing, and you also had some folks that were actually brought over to to dust from Eve, which I, I think where a lot of folks came from originally. So th- there's a little bit of a tie-in in terms of the lore and the New Eden universe. And if you ever read some of the flavor text in the game, of which there's not enough of, probably uh, you get a lot of you get a lot of pretty good pretty good little nuggets about what goes on in New Eden. So there are some things going on that are very specific to the Eve side, but uh, I think Ben had some ideas about what he would, what he'd like to pull from that, and how he might be able to affect some things on the dust side. So, Ben, would you mind giving us a, a really quick uh, discussion, a little bit about um, uh, what what you're seeing on the Eve side, since you're an Eve player, and then what you think is going to, or what could be something that could be a community content generation tool uh, for some of the folks on the dust side. Absolutely. Uh, as you guys have known for a couple of years, I'm Ben and Jerry's uh, corporate op a little bit. Um, now, uh, my Eve side character's name is Angskull Asad from Curatorius Veritas Alliance, which is a roleplay alliance that also owns Sovereignty, which is basically the same thing as Planetary Conquest. 
uh, with that, um, we've been driving a lot of player-driven content, meaning that we've gotten it so heavy lately that the developers on the uh, EVE side have basically logged in as actual role-playing characters. For instance, uh, Jamil Sarum lately. That whore. Hey, now. Uh, anyway, uh, with that, there's been another guy that's actually kind of picked up behind that. Hey, so, real, real quick, just so everybody's following. The the character, the name Jamil Sorum, that is actually, that is like the uh, the empress of the MR universe. So uh, that that's where some of the... So basically what you have is uh, members of the CCP community team, uh, the Eastside community team, that are actually getting on in-game as these characters and engaging with players. And it's actually shaping the storylines for, uh, for, for Eve, rather. All right, and this is pretty significant because this is for the first time in 13 years, CCP logged on as basically the leader of a non-player corporation rather a non-player faction of all things and actually killed somebody like in a fleet with a bunch of people that'd be as if uh Radity came down with you right now role-playing as some uh mimitar general or something and here he is murking off people while you're doing a pc or something it's a big deal so they're really buying in on this lore stuff so with that there's this guy that's come around uh that's actually affiliated with goon swarm uh, while we're supporting Jamil Sarum, Goonswarm is going the other way around. Uh, the true emperor, of course. Of course. As you can tell, there's some CFC people in here right now that are Goonswarm. It's all good, though. I'm not CFC, but I just hate her. Yeah. All right, anyway. This guy's name is Max Singularity, and uh, Jamil's like, even gone so far as to talk to him in-game, which is a, basically a developer talking to him in-game and all. Uh, a lot of people are really up in arms about all the stuff that he's been saying. He He's a very good public speaker, had 52 minutes of CCP Falcons attention on a podcast with uh, the Mitanni, which is basically the equivalent to us here at uh, Biomast, but for Eve's side. So that being said, uh, he... he uh, sorry. Max Singularity actually had some very interesting things to say about us, the Templars. Uh, he had this thing called Proclamation 7 uh, in the EVE forums. And I'm going to go ahead and just sum it up for you right quick. Uh, Char, he, he started out with a whole bunch of things that he doesn't like about the Amar Empire. Then he got on to us. Uh, five charges. For crimes against humanity as the Templar Project harvested living sleeper beings from the Anakis. The resulting project held in conspiracy against the Amar heirs, thus raising clear and present danger to the Amar Empire as a rapid increase of immortal soldiers by enemy states are presently proliferating New Eden. And also charges of gross negligence in responding to the Drifter incursions as a direct result of the jeopardies expounded by the Templar Project. So what does all that mean to you? Um, basically, uh, you can call it like you see it, but he's saying that we are a danger to society. Well, the original Templars, of course. Well, now, just for the record, it, the way he kind of laid it out is um, it, it was not, it was, just to, to be clear, one, Max Singularity, is he's a very, very well-known EVE player. Um, he is a big lore enthusiast and, and often does uh, garner the attention of CCP and, and the greater 
you know, kind of RPing type community in Eve. So just to put it in context, uh, very, very well-known uh, player within the Eve community, which is obviously you know, dramatically larger than Dust. Um, and it, what was fascinating about it is that he he was remarking, he was basically acknowledging something that, that CCP generally doesn't, which is that Dust exists. Uh, and that it actually has impacts inside the New Eden universe. That's one of the reasons I thought it was it was somewhat apropos that we could have a discussion about that tonight. And there's probably and if there were ways that we could engage on this, it would be um, it would be probably pretty interesting. I, I think this also this is the kind of thing that makes the case for if you want dust to to not just survive but really thrive. One of the number one ways to do that is to get Eve players to support dust. And that is not necessarily just by playing it. There's a lot of other things they can do like this, or you give them tools where dust becomes useful to them. So when you hear guys like SMB or Cross or Pokey or, or Zarya or folks like that, that are big faction warfare enthusiasts, and they describe having linkages, if, if like a dust player can pick where he wants to fight, and an Eve player can pick where they want to fight. Somebody like Max Singularity or or, or the Goons, perhaps, which you know, an incredibly large power block, uh, you know, thousands of people uh, that are very well organized. When they want to start having their big, in, you know, intergalactic, you know, squabble with somebody, like you CBA. can, yeah, you can then organize uh, both dust activity and. Uh, you know, spaceship activity in Eve, and you can actually have you know lore and storylines that are utterly totally relevant to both. That's where I think the power of something like this is, and it, and it comes down to just a few little things, making making dust useful to the people in uh, in Eve is is not going to be a bad thing for this game. In fact, it would be probably a very good thing for the game in the long run, uh, and they can uh, do it in such a way where it's not you know intrusive on anybody. Um. And I would love to see the Dust Eve link established, but how about how the Eve people can be useful to us? Because that, that relationship has got killed on the Dust side, I'd say, pretty substantially. I think the first... I mean, our only relationship was them dropping OBs for us. And the first thing that that killed that was the introduction of those like 300 uh, Warpoint war barges. We're so constantly spammed with that message that a war barge is available that we basically have all mentally tuned it out now and then the second thing now is we've all got eight and 16 man squads in faction or whatever or you know pc so we're dropping plenty of our own ob's now so that that relationship has been killed off i don't know we still we still regularly use um eve orbital support um in our pc matches so the problem is it being a unique event it just isn't in play anymore um, I don't think it's necessarily the matter of the NPC orbitals being a conf- conflict. It's the matter of you don't get the sense that, you know, when an Eve orbital is ready, it should be like epic. It should be like, you know, Eve strike ready, you know, that kind of thing. Or like when an Eve pilot connects, there should be like a voice saying like, you know, capsuleers connected to the to the district. You know, there should be some kind of, you know, big like, oh, this is happening. You know, hey, guys, this is happening rather than just a box appears and an additional line of blue text happens on the screen um and the other yeah. thing is it's very much in the background yeah and i mean the other thing is we have um and 
the actual tangible link in Planetary Conquest, which is the, uh, in terms of benefiting Eve side, is the POS bonuses, uh, which is going, it's eminently going to demise uh, with the structure upgrades, I have no doubt. So basically, the last remaining link between, a beneficial link between Dust and Eve is going to be severed um, in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, and, and with that, we have to scrape and claw and find some way to do something to prevent that. Well, now, I mean, with, I'm sorry, go ahead. Now, with that, I, I mean, I, I've come forth with a couple of ideas that, I mean, uh, we're more than ready to share. But on the same token, it, it needs a buy-in from the entire community so that at, at that point, when we've crossed that line, when we've, uh, you know, crossed the Rubicon in sort of a way, uh, we got to strap in and uh, hope to God that, you know, the, the Eve side will actually take a hold of this. And right now, they're very responsive to the lore, so much so that, like, everybody's boarding this lore track bandwagon because it gets you an audience with uh, CCP up in, up in Big Eve land. Yeah, uh, lore is not such a big thing for us, Dusties. Oh, I know. And it, it's, uh, it's and a, it used to it be. Can be pain, yeah. It can be a pain in the butt, too. It really can, like making sure you mind all your P's and Q's on what you're, what you're supposed to know and what you're not supposed to know. It, it can be kind of cumbersome at times and actually kind of turn a lot of people off. And I understand that completely. But as the community on that side is driving up, we follow in on their bandwagon. What would happen? Could we possibly get the same amount of attention on well, it? Well, Especially if we get their the, backup. I, I think you have to aim, you have to get some focus to it. So, for example, um, like all that, all that POS bonus jazz and all that kind of stuff, you know, I mean, because originally a lot of PI was put into EVE, like planetary interactions is basically how they can do, you know, for lack of a better term, some mining on a planet to produce things. Um, that was, if you look at the PI structures, they're, they're actually the, the dust structures you have on maps that we play on. They were designed to kind of function like that. However, the things like POS bonuses aren't, aren't useful in the long run. No. And Kane pointed that out very well. The, ultimately, the things that you could do is if you made dust activity move the needle in faction warfare more, like actually the percentile increase of uh, system control, you know, like you control systems in EVE, um, if that was increased where it was noticeable, you know, significantly more noticeable, like where you can still take a system if you want without dust support. But boy, if you're working together, it's much more advantageous to both. Uh, there is something to that. And if you had, you know, advantages to to PI or other things, if you owned a district in there and you had some sort of allegiance to whatever faction, there are things that they could do th that are probably very useful. The, the thing where I think a lot of folks tripped up on is that there is this pseudo sov sovereignty mechanic in terms of how we do PC. And people try to equate that to SOV in, um, in EVE. These are very technical gaming type discussions, but the long story short is I think, I think they sort of shot themselves in the foot by even attempting to introduce that. They should have focused on the faction warfare aspect, which probably plays much, much better to how Dust works. Um, and then you could develop some very low hanging fruit type tools, shared, shared chat comms, uh, the ability to, and number one, the ability to pick where you're going to fight. Uh, and yes. then if you can do that, even if you don't move the needle very much, you, you're still impacting things, but if you can pick where you want to fight and synchronize the, the space in the ground, uh, and then you make it where taking, taking planets in the right location is advantageous to 
to the Eve side, problem fucking solved. You, you right there have incredibly increased the value of a console first person shooter game to a Uber nerd spaceship guy uh, sitting behind his PC. And, and he, at that point will then become an advocate for you. Even if he's, if he doesn't even own a PS3. Um, I agree with everything you just said, Jay, but also there's a lot of problems with being able to get rewarded within FW already and does. And I think that that would need to be addressed as well, because there's really nobody playing FW right now, like compared to pubs. Are you, um, are you there's, no, there's a decent no. number of people playing faction. <laughs> I, no, it, faction warfare is, is on fire lately. It, it takes me about your time five zone. to ten. If you're like, by yourself, any, if you're queuing by yourself, it will take a long time. If you even in the, spots, I've seen it that it's five to ten minutes just to get a match, whereas in pubs, even two, if I'm not, two days ago, I played Fact War at 1 a.m. Mountain Standard Time solo and had no queues that exceeded three minutes. Just throwing it out there. I'm talking about over weeks. It's been averaging over weeks. It's lower for me than that. I've been and averaging I've, about five to ten minutes, even in squads. I've what been, did you do to Scotty? I don't know. You, because don't. the thing is, I've been Maybe seeing people. Maybe it's just people... that Scotty hates me, but I've seen it being five to ten minutes. Dude, I'll I'll, I'll put every uh, if I put everything but Dom on for pubs, I I can get up, go get a drink, make a smoothie, take a piss, let my dog out to go pee, come back, maybe play some. You know, I don't know some Candy Crush or something, and then still look up, and I'm just now getting into match. Yeah, that's interesting because it only takes me about thirty seconds to get a pub match. Are, are you are you taking Dom out of the rotation? Because if you want to play a pub, yes. if you just put in Dom, I'm you'll just, get in an no, RV. I I play skirmish only. And by the way, I, and I know Soraya hates domination, but that, it's a terrible but, game mode. But boy, everybody's playing it for some reason, huh? I, 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 I think there's I actually a, there's got to be some sort of flaw in the I will, queuing I will code or something that uh, that creates it more often than it should. I, I and pigs oh, will man. fly right now, but I agree with Soraya that Dom is a terrible thing. Yeah, Dom is pretty bad. Is it as bad as acquisition? No, I think no, acquisition, acquisition is I, a little bit better, but it's it's close. I think acquisition is uh, is basically a far superior version of domination. It's just the point that nobody around, plays. Really. So I, because I, there's I, something glitched that seems to create lots of doms, or people just aren't selecting acquisition because they don't like it. Well, I mean, that, statistically speaking, more than likely, it, like I, I've asked for this information like four or five times. I would like to know. Not what is the percentage of matches being spun up, but what is the percentage, like, how are people queuing for matches? Because by default, when you queue for matches, you get all match types. And I'm willing to guess that most of the things that are being queued for are all at once. So the question is, is why is it so hugely in favor of Dom if more than likely people are queuing for multiple game modes at a time? I think it's a positive feedback loop. It's queuing faster, so there's more matches. Because there's more matches, it's going to queue faster. And and that definitely could be. But we've got to have, you know, we've got to know what's how are people queuing as opposed to how are matches appearing. And we can't deal with that, you know, if we don't have those numbers. Right. I actually made a post on this the other day. It's like, can uh, CCP actually give us an idea on what's actually being queued strong so that we as a community can 
kind of get together and figure out, hey, how am I going to get my matches quicker? You know, uh, that, the the danger, the the problem is, and, and you guys kind of touched on it, the danger. If CCP says anything like that, is that everybody will instantly play that game mode and none else. <laughs> that is true. You're going to wind up killing other ones, and I know it's kind of a little bit of a risky thing to say, um, but just to kind of like give us some trend analysis in the long run, I'd kind of like to see that over you know the course of like the years and everything. I think that'd be pretty cool, pretty cool to look at. Uh, re- regardless, uh, uh, if you guys don't mind, could we uh, like get back to talking about this lore stuff? Uh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Can, I, can I just take a second to? Go ahead. Does anyone remember the last time they created like their their dust character and we had to pick bloodlines? Yes. Yeah. Do, okay, you guys remember the freaking barge uh, back in the day, the PlayStation Home barge, and it had videos for each faction. That was so cool. Oh yeah. Now, yeah. why the heck did we not get those videos that we so we could play them for before we pick a bloodline? In dust that right. that never I'll never understand it, it because it doesn't it doesn't matter though because dusties don't care about lore. The only time dusties talk about lore is if maybe they might RP being a mar for a second. Oh, stupid slaves, and then that's it. That's that's the only role RP has. I mean, in dust. there are some there are some very there are some very passionate faction warfare players out there that will you know you know be die hard for their faction in terms of role playing it as well. Gallus, I want to talk about I have, a, uh, I've feedback seen, loop. I've seen loyal people very loyal to their factions. I haven't seen anyone RPing them. But, um, but there, there's no lore presented. You know, no. How much lore is presented when logging into EVE for the first time compared to logging into Dust for the first time? We were just talking about how, wow, it would be great to have a you know couple-minute video talking about the races, whereas in EVE you have walls of text that you can have you know in dust you log in you have a different bloodline it's my merc quarters look different as opposed to the setting for my missions and the flavor text is functionally different i mean the the centerpieces the the content is the same but they they couch all of it differently based on your race so of course you don't have much of an uptake on lore and dust because there's nothing for people to access it unless they already have access to Eve or going out of their way to purchase books separately from the game client. It's hard to get that investment if people don't even know it exists or have no context to encounter it other than go outside the game and look for it. And, Just as a side and, note, everyone should buy the Eve books. They're amazing. Just saying. Yes, they are. And, kind of... All right, go ahead, Jaden. Sorry. Uh, recalling back to closed beta um, with the uh, you could choose your bloodlines. They had flavor text that also affected how your skills were initially allocated. I'm kind of wondering why they removed that from like a new player experience perspective. I mean, that felt kind of helpful. It was more because people got tired of having to go down a certain path when making alt, so they just got rid of it. Yeah, I hear you. So the question is like. You like I, I keep preaching kind of on the forums the whole use what you got concept. Uh, well, here's what we have: we have planetary conquests in order to push this whole lore aspect. Now, let's say, and this is exactly what my corp Vader's Fist is about to do. And not doing this as recruitment, anything like that. It's just an idea. Um, we're taking Molden Heath for the Amar Empire. Uh, it's a Mimitar area. Uh, we will subject the people back to where they belong it i mean that's as simple as the concept gets uh how do you guys feel about that good luck 
Yeah, that's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be fun. Hopefully, I I really do hope that maybe you guys pick up like saying, "Oh, hey, I'm in the Mimitar faction now," or "Oh, hey, I'm in the Angel Cartel now." I would uh, I would really I would love to RP Vive la Resistance Galente Mimitar, but I'd probably end up very alone. Okay, uh, just letting you know, I'm going to actually be doing PC more if this goes down well. Yeah, yeah I hear you. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the thing is, we have people who roleplay in this game, and yeah, PC is can be a, maybe an avenue for some lore-based stuff. I mean, if you think about it, uh, the lore entries for Dust have all been centered around Molten Heath, and they actually even mentioned certain corpse by name um, with, you know, talking about how we were hired by the Mimitar to fight pirates, um, and we decreased the amount of pirates, apparent piracy on the planets, apparently, in Molten Heath, but then uh, th everything basically went dark, um, and we just, it just devolved into a bunch of us, it just infighting between the various, uh, Merc organizations on the planets, um, even I don't know. Our beginnings were in, well, was that planet in Molden Heath? I can't remember. There was no specific for planet Tempo. though. Oh, for Tempo was, one. Oh, I'm not even. I'm it not was, even sure. I it can't was a remember. Specific planet. I can't remember what it was. But I thought okay. it was a multi -hue. All right. So before we before we kind of totally jump the shark here, um, I, I'm just going to kind of circle back and wrap this up. And th this is we could probably actually do a more distinct show on like if there's a way that they could tie the lore in to what we're doing. Uh, one of the interesting things is that in Eve. Uh, they actually do use lore as part of their game design uh, architecture in terms of certain things, uh, in terms of like what develop, you know, what ship shipyards develop what ships, and then what what type of stats are more likely than should they have? Like certain type of ships will use these type of missiles or are more X or Y, and there's it's variations within uh, like even racial themes. So. But we don't do that here in Dust at all. So, but there is a backdrop of lore that we can we can kind of tie into. Um, but I would offer that we probably could have a, a a pretty good discussion about what it can mean in terms of uh, community content generation. I don't think we're going to ever get at least not under CCP or Toddy unless he has a real big change of heart uh, utilizing lore as something that will help shape things that you see tangibly inside of a match. Uh, now, that being said, utilizing it as, as content generation, which is what I think Ben's talking about, if you want to yes. go for that and do that, fine. Man, I think there's a lot of room for that uh, if you find like-minded people. Uh, I don't. I, it is unfortunate, though, that, that you don't really have a lot of uh, actual in-game tools that will allow you to... to see some of this to fruition, I think, but you can probably make a pretty good go of it. So with that, what I'd like to do is kind of, um, again, this has actually been a pretty interesting discussion. I'm a big fan of the lore of New Eden. Uh, we can kind of table this one for the moment, and then may maybe we can come back to this at a later date, and we can kind of talk about some different aspects of lore, um, maybe not so much of a history lesson, but Hey, how can how can the community get more involved in uh, perhaps producing the lore for the Dust Side of New Eden, which they do allow the Eve players to do uh, quite a bit. In fact, a lot of the lore actually is written by them. Uh, so that in and of itself might be pretty pretty interesting. Can uh, I counter that um, right quick, please? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. All right, uh, that's where channels come into play. 
uh, there's tons of ways that you can actually talk to in game to actually get this type of stuff going. Uh, there's a channel called Live Events where you just type in the words Live Events, and then there you are typing out a character saying, "Hey, I'm a Dusk guy. I don't know anything about uh, role play, but we we have some ideas. Uh, who who's in on this?" And then there's in-character stuff like the Intergalactic Summit and uh, a bunch of other ones that are all out there. I mean, you, it, anybody has any questions on this stuff, you can feel free to message me in-game. I can get this stuff to you. Now, it, if you guys do want to go with this and kind of use the drop on the bandwagon, like how all the Eve characters are right now, then, then please go right ahead. I, I, I hope that this could be one of the things that we can use to claw and bite our way to make sure that this game gets immortalized. Okay, and I think I think that's that, that's fair too. That there's that there's some ways that we can look at it with the um, kind of the avenues that we already have in game. So let's uh, and, I, and I do appreciate you bringing up bringing this up. I've, I've actually tried to poke some lore stuff in here occasionally and haven't been over, overly successful, but I appreciate you you actually kind of tying this into some of the bigger things going on. So what I'd like to do is kind of move over to uh, kind of our last topic, uh, barring any saved rounds from folks. Um, and it's a just a very quick uh, quick recitation of a couple things. Uh, as you guys know, though, I haven't been on the show for a little while. I was literally moving across the country. Uh, you hit about 3,000 miles. Well, well over 3,000 miles. Seattle to Savannah, more or less. And one of the things I picked up um, in that sort of little excellent adventure was a, I spent a lot of time listening to different podcasts and a lot of time in hotels um, you know, playing playing different mobile games or Steam games. And what I wanted to do is kind of a, a real quick rundown of some, um, particularly some gaming podcasts or uh, perhaps some kind of pop culture sort of podcasts, podcasts that I would uh, I just kind of recommend to the general audience at large. Uh, and some of these are, are pretty popular. A couple of them are not. Uh, the first one I'd kind of throw out there is the actual, it's called the Game Informer Show. So Game Informer Magazine, very well-known uh video game magazine, uh, very well known, been around for, I think right at 20 years now. Um, they run an absolutely fantastic podcast. Uh, and you can look it up on iTunes under the game informer show. Uh, it's, it is very much like an issue of, uh, these are basically professional journalists that happen to cover video, video games. Uh, really, really good. And they ha- they kind of break the sh- break their podcast up into kind of two parts. The first part is usually about an hour or so, and that's where they talk about like reviews and previews of games and like things like E3 and, and their impressions of different games. They had some absolute great episodes talking in depth about Oculus Rift and some of the different things going on in the VR world and a lot of the different games that we all talk about either on show or in match or on Skype or whatever. Um, things, you know, very in-depth Comic-Con and E3 layouts, really, really good discussion. But the second half of the show, which is usually about 45 minutes to an hour is what I often found more interesting. And they have, uh, a developer on from random studio or, you know, longtime veteran in, in the industry or whatever. And they go into very, very in-depth discussions about, what they're working on, or and often what they used to work on, because they're mostly they're all under the the infamous NDA, much like we are, or we will really 
CCP slash CPM is where there's things about their ongoing game that they don't talk about. So when they're talking about, like, if you got a guy coming on from, you know, biomass studios or whatever, he comes on and he talks, he will obviously talk about the project he's working on, but what they really want to talk to him about often, which gives you insights into what they're working on is what they used to do. So for example, they had one of the, the lead designers and sort of the, you know, kind of one of the brainchild uh, guys behind Halo. And he talked about creating a first person shooter and trying to create a different kind of first person shooter. And it was about an hour long discussion that gave you a lot of the history. And he had been involved in, I think, four, you know, four of the Halo shows or four of the Halo, um, uh, you know, games, excuse me. And it was in, incredibly interesting to listen to him him talk about weapon balance, like how they solved different things, how they dealt with the community when they were trying to figure out how to balance certain things in the game. Um, and I I highly encourage you if you're interested in video games you've been playing for a while. It's a different take. It's definitely not a a popcorny kind of kind of podcast. It's really good. Again, real journalists talking about stuff. They're usually very entertaining, uh, but the, the the developer discussions are what I found most interesting because it gives you kind of an idea of what guys are going through as they're actually trying to make these games um, and some of the ways they view problems that are probably different than how the community does. So that's, that is one thing I would kind of offer to you is uh, the Game Informer Show. Again, very, very excellent podcast, uh, and I highly recommend that folks check that one out. Uh, there's a couple other ones. Uh, there's the IGN Games podcast. The, now these guys put out several podcasts or several different shows, and they collect them under the IGN Games podcast. It's sort of a uh, a mini collector of multiple different podcasts that you can subscribe to under this one banner. They're pretty good. They're from the UK. Uh, very similar in tone. Um, not quite as in depth as the Game Informer show, but it's it's probably worth a look. Uh, and then probably the last games oriented podcast I'd kind of, you know, if you guys want to check it out is one that's called can't stop playing. It's basically, uh, these three guys that are, I would say roughly college age, like young 20, like early twenties, mid twenties. Uh, and they've got an incredible, it's a very, very popular in terms of just raw downloads and things like that. Very popular podcast. Uh, but it sounds basically like us talking, you know, for lack of a better term. Uh, although none of them sound quite like Zell, but I don't think few, I don't think very few people can. Uh, so again, highly recommend IGN Games podcast and Can't Stop Playing. Two different takes on things. They're uh, they're pretty cool if you want to take another look. But again, best in show, the Game Informer show. Uh, the last couple ones I want to throw out are a little bit more more kind of just fun podcasts. They're literally a little bit more pop culture kind of stuff. There's one called uh, Movie Fights by Screen Junkies. Just type in Screen Junkies Movie Fights, and I think you'll pull it up. And it's it's a really, really fun show. They take basically uh, some professional nerds, so to speak, uh, from different podcasts, YouTube channels, uh, you know, occasionally movie people, actual movie or, or TV writers or producers, and they have them uh, fight it out with, okay, who wins, Batman versus Superman? Or why was the Deadpool trailer the absolute best trailer at Comic-Con this year? And they have basically a little knockout show where they're great, you know, they're graded and scored. Uh, it's kind of like around the horn on ESPN. Really fun show, very quick for like your morning commute and stuff like that. And the last two uh, ones I've actually plugged before on the show, 
Uh, one of them is called uh, The Weekly Planet, and it's the kind of the podcast of comic book new, comicbookmovie.com. It is a really, really spiffy little podcast by some Australian brothers that uh, actually do a lot of um, – they branch out into video games occasionally, but a lot of just general – Movies that we would all want to go see, anything that's you know comic book related or uh, graphic novel related, video game tie-ins to movies, they're really funny, absolutely hilarious. Uh, one of the guys is a professional stand-up comedian down in Australia. It's actually quite good. They're they're very humorous, so I do recommend those um, uh, that you pick up the Weekly Planet. Very fun. Uh, and then there's another one that's a little bit more kind of esoteric. That's a little bit more Jadic Menaheim in its flavor. It's called I Was There Too. Uh, it's a it is a neat podcast. It's, it's probably about 45 minutes to an hour per episode. And basically, uh, the guy interviews bit players from classic movies. Like he'll interview like one of the Colonial Marines from Aliens and talk to that guy for like an hour about what it was like. And and it's usually very funny. It's it's usually uh, you get a lot of insight into some of the the randomness of being a a bit player in hollywood uh so if you're kind of into that or you want something a a little bit more a little bit more kind of left to center it's pretty good so again i do highly recommend that so uh the weekly planet i was there too uh again really good and the screen junkies movie fights absolutely hilarious so that was kind of my podcast review because I, i literally listened to probably three or four or well, really like up to like seven uh, episodes of each one of those podcasts on my, you know, almost 40 hours of, of straight drive and travel from one end of the country to the other. So there's a lot of other shows out there. We love you that come down and listen to biomass, but you know, we get a lot of ideas for our show by listening to others or watching YouTube channels. And one of the interesting things that we found out is a lot of these podcasts do simulcasts on uh, YouTube, like not just the not just the audio, but it, they're actually filming them in studio, which we certainly will not ever do in Biomast. I'm not sure we could take that. So that's kind of been my little podcast review for the week. And I do want to uh, let folks know I appreciate all the comments on Twitter as I was driving. Uh, and I think we're about at that point. We're going to go ahead and call the show to a bring the show to a screeching halt. So what we're going to do now, guys, is we're going to knock out some shout outs. We're going to start at the top of the list with the beginning of the list, Pokey Draven. And we're going to go work our way down and then we'll go ahead and kind of land the plane for tonight. So Pokey, you got any shout outs, brother? Yeah, I'll give a shout out to uh, CCP Logibro and Lulu. I think I'm saying your name right. I know they're kind of understaffed and we're kind of borrowing her from Eve to get this election uh, pushed through. So it's been a little uh, rough road, but, you know, uh, shout out to them for actually making it happen because I know it's it's been tough. So thanks, guys. Good deal. And Ben and Jerry's. All right. I'd like to give a shout out to my brother, K. Hardex. Uh, you can meet with him on his channel, The Cardinal's Office, and also uh, The True Adamants. Uh, the one in original True Templar. And also, yeah, Vader's Fist. Thanks, guys. Good deal. All right. Uh, Cross. Yeah, two major shout-outs. One to folks like Ben here who are actually driving content for New Eden. Because, let's be honest, beyond the base game, content like that is what makes it fun. And then a shout-out to all the people who spend time in places like the Feedback and Ideas forums or talking in-game to polish that base game experience. Alrighty, uh, Godin. I like to give a shout out to my mom because she helped me do something earlier, and I'm just thankful for that because otherwise I would have broke down. Hey man, there's nothing wrong with that, dude. Uh, all right, Heracles. 
I want to give a shout out to my corp, Random Guns. Uh, I've been here for less than a month, and you guys have done a great job uh, making me feel at home. And you've generally just been a pleasure to play with. Uh, also, I want to give a big shout out to everyone who was in the commando party last week. Uh, you stuck it out until I had my Snickers, and thanks for showing up. <laughs> All right, good deal. Uh, let's see, Jadek. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to the Sandbox of Dust. We're figuring out ways to make money off selling corporations loaded with command points. Okay, well that could be pretty interesting. Uh, let's see, Kane Sparrow. Uh, just a shout out to Negative Feedback and uh, all the candidates who decided to probably go against my advice and run for CPM. Uh, there'd be Aon Mahdi, uh, Sergeant Kirk, uh, Arkenna Winspire, Chicho Man, Silly Rabbit, and uh, Dystopia, and Demin's Grimwolf. Okay, you, you've named like 1.75 people that I, th- I think I would vote for. Most of that's due to your, their association with you. Uh, okay, middle of the list, Ryzel. I'm going to give my shout-out to uh, everyone running and everyone voting for uh, the CPM election this year. I'm really, really happy that uh, everything has worked out uh, well for our term and, and that uh, the, the game will outlive us. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, well, this is Jason Larison, and I don't have a whole lot of shout-outs right now. Uh, although I, I would like to say I really appreciate the folks in my neighborhood for welcoming us. We had a we had a party last night, uh, very fun. Uh, thunder, rain, lightning, and all that good stuff. But everybody still ate barbecue and uh, all that kind of good stuff. So appreciate the neighborhood here. Uh, and that's about it for shout-outs for me. So, guys, uh, we're going to go ahead and call episode 65 to a close. And it's getting pretty late at night here, so this is probably well-timed. Uh, so again, thanks for all the support and for everybody that emails us, Twitters us, hits us up in game or whatever. Please keep it coming because feedback actually helps us quite a bit. Uh, we do modify the show's format a little bit. And we do modify our topics based on what you guys want. And if you ever want to be on Biomast, uh, please just message uh, myself, Pokey, or Zell and just make arrangements for uh, a time that you want to come on. And you let us know a little bit about what you want to talk about and we'll, we'll see if we can do something for you. All right, guys. So with that, good night and good luck. Love.